hey, it's been fantastic to be here with you. And, and uh, you know, I don't lie. <laughs> hey, I got my own set of faults, but I don't lie. And so uh, I'll talk a little bit about this tonight as an illustration. I'm going to be using in the future uh, your church as an illustration, this body as an illustration. Um, the sky is the limit for you. Really. I travel a lot. And I go to places where I love them, but I don't think I'd go there. I would come here. I would. I'd come here. I just resonated with several of you. I mean, you're likable. Good looking. You know, you love Jesus. Um, seriously, there's like you, there's some solid folk here. Um, if you don't grow, if you don't reach your community, it's you flat out don't want to. There's a cost. There is. I think, I think that I, I go to certain places and I just tell them flat out, you, you're going to be held accountable. You're going to be held accountable for what you have. And what you have is wonderful. I mean, it is. It's wonderful. And uh, I was reading today. I want to challenge you, just as kind of a bonus material for showing up tonight. Um, read. Read. At least read. I try to read a book. I don't try to. I love to read. So I read about a book a week on the average, sometimes two. Um, but read. Just turn off the airways. Turn off the noise and just ingest. You'd be surprised, like, what the Lord does. It lead, one book leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. I'm reading this book, and uh, it's, it's, I don't know if I, I don't typically endorse books because I very rarely, there's only been like, I think there's been four books or five books that I've agreed with 100%, and I wrote them. <laughs> you know, the other ones I, I don't think I have, uh, but I really like this guy here, and uh, you want to come up and talk to me afterwards, I'll tell you. But he's talking about, I love it because he's digging into the, into the Word, and it's a biblically based, um, it's a biblically based proposition. And it's about walking in our authority and how God, uh, when you're a good steward of something, He just gives you more. And I've written on this before, but it, there's, there's principles on that. You you beat a dog, it doesn't come home. <laughs> you feed a dog, and it does. It sticks around. There's, it's just the nature of who he is, good and evil. He's, you know, it's relevant. It's, it's present in our world. Um, and this guy was writing about this, just a, a small little introduction. Uh, and he was dealing with a passage that I loved it because I've studied this in part, and he, it's taken out of context so many times. It's Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 and 19. Don't turn there. But he says, linguistic studies reveal that the verb in Matthew 16, 18 through 19 is in the future perfect passive periphrastic tense. Whoa! Man, that just, if, you, if you don't run the aisles off that one. The future perfect passive periphrastic tense. Get it done. This simply means that the literal way the verse should read is, whatever you bind on earth will have already been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will have already been loosed 
in heaven. In fact, many Bible publishers include this anecdotal note in the margins of their, of their translations. So, to be more accurate, binding or loosing is first done in heaven and then to be manifested on earth. We all know the passage, but the passage is whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. I've heard people say stuff like, you know, hey, you know, what I do here, you know, God echoes in the heaven. Well, it's, it's actually, it's, it's, a, it's a future perfect verb, and you'd have to study some grammar, but the idea is, is that what we do here is to be in response. Hear this, please. What we do here is to be in response to what God is doing in the heavenlies. What does that mean? See, I, I believe with all my heart. I do. There are certain things I'm going to fight over. And I know with all my heart that God wants to win your city. That he wants to win your workplace. And he wants to win your next door neighbor. He wants to smother in love your children your home, would you let him? He's not going to supersede our will. He's not going to control you. I believe if God is going to move in our day, it's going to happen through us. There are no more burning bushes. If you don't care that your neighbor's going to hell, that's heavy. That's what he's talking about. Whatever is bound on whatever is bound in heaven, whatever he binds in heaven, dude, he wants to pour that through your life. Just let him. He doesn't need talent. He doesn't need ability. He just needs someone to say, "Here am I. Send me." Folks, that's got to be us. And I find myself preaching this week at a at a at a body of believers that is just you're primed, and your pastoral staff is like ridiculous. Seriously. Every, every single one of them, they're just ridiculous. Ridiculous in a, in a good way is what I'm trying to say. So, I mean, I'm serious. I'd come here. I would jump in. I would be a part. So I'd encourage you this week, just text your pastor and say, hey, I want in. I'm not wanting to be a mindless drone who comes in and say, feed me. I want to plug in. How can I help? How can I, how can I help? How can I be a part? Let's win. Let's, let's win Lantana. That's really not a city. <laughs> Once you to open your Bibles up to Ephesians, and if you're just joining us online, love, love that you're here, and uh, appreciate you guys coming this evening. I've been really dealing with, um, and I, I was forced into Ephesians, so to speak, because I do with a lot of, uh, I'm dealing with a lot of um, interdenominational ministry um, in my hometown where I'm ministering in just outside Nashville. And it's so neat to reach across the aisle to people who believe a little different than you, <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm a Nazarene guy. Okay. So, you know, what, what, what's radical for us in worship is just doing this. Yeah, that dude, that's next level. Okay. 26 years. I've got myself up to that. And yet I'm worshiping in Nash, you know, in Nashville area. And uh, I got a call from a pastor today, and he might be watching tonight. And, you know, he was a little disturbed. He's like, you know, one of your students who came from our church to your school, she's, she came back and she goes, I think I'm a prophetic dancer. <laughs> I was like, he's like, what is that? I was like, I, do, I did not teach that. Okay. I didn't teach that. But she picked that up working in our city with a bunch of, you know, different people than me that love Jesus. And it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing when the city comes together and all the churches say, can we find common ground? 
to minister in the community? Seriously, can we just find some common ground? I get it. You look at me and you think I'm a radical. I'm going to hell. That, but before I get there, can we feed the homeless together? You know, you know before I get there, can we, you know, can, we, can we gather together and lock arms and pray, God, move in our city? And that's what we're doing. So I've been forced to deal with a lot of theological barriers, a lot of difficulties. And I've been coming back to the Word and, and trying to, to explain some of that. that I, I think, honestly, a lot of our traditions, they're a little bit more pronounced than they should be. Does that make sense? They're, they're a little big, we make them a little bigger than they actually are. And what I've been finding in particular... Uh, whether it would be with uh, predestination language, whether it be with eternal security language, whether it be certain giftings, you know, what have you, um, God is really into category language. He's really into category language. And if you have your Bibles, we're looking out of Ephesians chapter 1, and uh, I'm walking through verses um, 3 through 14. I want to encourage you, even if you don't have Facebook, I have people say, I'm done with Facebook. I love it. Cancel everybody but me. And just follow me on Facebook, okay? It's, it's the cool thing. Everybody's doing it. I'm generally considered funny across the United States. So it's not me, just so you know. It's, it's you, okay? So, but I want you to follow me on, and people online are just cutting up, by the way. But I'd love for you to follow me, and because we're just going to be walking through over the next year, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. I'm also doing a study in Romans, and we're a little, I'm, I'm going through a lot with biblical stuff. But here in, in Ephesians, these, these first 14 verses, there's just so, there's category language that's so evident. And the category is Christ. Everything is in Jesus, which answers a, a, a myriad of questions right off the bat. Jesus is the big deal. You are saved in a personal relationship with Jesus. You are not saved in church. Showing up to a building on Sunday does not mean you are a Christian. Amen, true dat, whatever you want to say. Okay? Yeah. So, you, you, you know, you're not saved because you're a good moral person. You're not saved through the law. You're not saved through whatever. You're saved in a personal, intimate connection, living in response to Jesus. And I, I teach a lot at our school with young people. Young people, today, is, it's, it's spoken so highly about passion. Passion's overrated. In fact, passion can replace the Holy Spirit in your life. You know how many things I've said passionately that are not of Him? Yeah, being driven. Yeah, highly overrated. Listen, give up being passionate. Give up being driven. Be led. Be tight with him. Be tight with him. He's passionate enough for both of you. Relax. Calm down. Get off your soapbox. He's got enough direction. He's got enough drive. He's got enough stamina and passion. He's got enough for both of you. Just be, be intimate with him. He is the category. And as we go through this passage, you're going to find it as, for example, in verse 4, that he chose us in him before the creation of the world. So literally, before the creation of the world, God said, I've got a dream for your life, and I've put it in Jesus. Seriously, it's waiting for you. You're significant. And then he immediately moves into the predestination language, which Nazarenes love, not sure if you know that or not, that we've been predestined in Christ. 
What does that mean? The, the root concept of predestination is literally limited. Yeah, he's put boundaries on your life. You have specific, miraculous, wonderful written all over you in Christ. You're not just out there. It's not like God looks down one day and goes, oh, who's that? Oh, that's Charles. Well, wait, where'd he come from? Gotta stick him in Texas. You know, that, that's not how that works. Before you were born, I knew you, and I appointed you. That's that language. I've limited your life. I'm not only limited and narrowed how I want to use you, but I've limited how you're going to operate in terms of timing. He doesn't give it to us all at once, as we're going to talk about tonight. If you're not a good steward, you're not going to get into it. You're not going to get into the fullness. How can you be a good steward of much if you can't manage little? These are principles Jesus talked about. But it all begins in the category of Jesus. God's really into category language. He's prepared a place for us. What's that place? That's the category. Okay? So, so we've been dealing with some of this category language and taking some of these theological differences that we find uh, between denominations that serve as barriers for working into our city. And we've been looking at those and saying, let's come back and revisit these. I'm not sure they're as big as you think they are. And we've been doing that. So that's kind of an introduction where we've been. For those of you who are just joining us perhaps online, I want to look at you specifically this evening at verse 3. I want to read it, and then we're going to go through it together. I'm reading out of the NIV uh, 1984 version. It reads, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Um. God loves everyone. For God so loved the world. Okay, God loves everybody. You're like, I hate him. He still loves you. It's beautiful. There's uh, several words for love in the New Testament. The word agape is this, this term that, well, I love it, because the early church kind of like stole Greek terms and redefined them. By the way, we do that all the time. We redefine terminology. You know, uh, my, uh, back in the day before my next door neighbor got saved, uh, he would say, I love my wife. But see, your definition of love is not his definition of love, so I wouldn't say you love your wife. Because there's a special category, like we use terms specifically in and among the body. Like how we talk about love might not be the world and how they talk about, oh, I love her. I don't think you love her. So, what they did in their first century is they took this term agape and they redefined it. And it became this covenant selfless love. And it's contrasted with phileo love. Phileo love is you participate. The root word of phileo, which you might have heard of that term. People say it's brotherly love, which it can be translated that. But the, the root word of phileo is phile, which means friend. So it's friendship or neighborly love. And you participate in that. You have to participate in being friends with someone. You can't say, yeah, they're my best friend. They're like, dude, that guy hates you. We're friends. No, you have to participate in that. When it says God loves you, you don't have to participate in that. God loves everybody irregardless. Well, I hate him. No, well, he still loves you, okay? So love is universal. It's not so with blessing. And by the way, I put it back there, but in our category, when you go through Ephesians, love is not in that category. Love is not in Christ, not in the category language. It's outside of Christ as well. God is love. 
It's who he is. You interact with him, you're going to be loved. It's what pumps through his veins. Not so with blessing slash favor. God does not favor everyone, and he doesn't bless everyone. God does not bless murderers, does not put a blessing on their murdering. He does not bless thieves. He does not, he does not bless stealing. You know, he doesn't look down and say, wow, he's sinning, but he's like so good at it. I'm going to bless him. No, God doesn't do that. So God literally, and by the way, we have passages, Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the poor, favor. favor, I favor the poor in spirit. Well, what if, you're not, what if you're not poor in spirit? You're not favored. I favor the meek. But what if you're not meek? You're not favored. So there are characteristics of blessing and favor. Favor is a unique classification for children of God. And if you're not a good steward of being a child of God, you literally limit the, his favor in your life. And I give, we give several illustrations on this. One of the ones I used this week was the unfortunate event that happened in the gas station with the kid buying the lottery ticket, which, you know, again, I, if I could just keep my mouth shut, life would be so much easier. And my wife would be proving correct. And those of you who missed it, I basically was witnessing to this kid. He had a Christian t-shirt on, I had a Christian t-shirt on. We were talking. It was great. Then he goes, buys a lottery ticket right in front of me. And he's, he was immediately telling me he's going through college and man and all of this. What are you doing in town? I'm doing this, man. And oh, how's it going? Oh, it's going good. Man, God's really been helping me going through some financial times, but he's, man, you know, all this. And then he goes, buys a lottery ticket. And he looks back at me and he's like, pray for me. I was like, I'm going to prophesy over you. You ain't winning. And not only him, but the clerk and everyone else looked at me like, oh, you're such a discouraging jerk. I'm like, I know. But if, I told him, if, if you can't manage what you have, how can he give you more? Seriously, it's a fundamental principle. I hear people all the time say, well, my, my father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Yeah, they're not at your house. <laughs> yeah. But what are you saying, Jeremiah? Well, I think you know exactly what I'm saying. Are you a good steward of your finances? See, tithing, and this is something the younger generation, it is so wonderful to travel to other churches other than my own because I can say whatever I want. It's, like, it's so it's freeing. Okay? You should be tithing. If not, you are a moocher. Where do you go to church? Over there. And I just mooch. Yeah, what can you do for me? That's seriously, that's, that's, our, that's our, should I go off on this? I should. I watch people, they do, they go to churches and it, it's this, it's a consumerism. What do you guys offer? You have children's ministry? How good is it? Do you preach? Are you entertaining or are you boring? Really? Okay. Can I, do I have to sit up and worship, you know? Can I eat chips while you, while you and that's, you know? It's what can I, what can, what can you give me? See, the days of the scriptures being proclaimed that it is a privilege to come and be a part of the body. See, we come in and say, how can I be a part, man? How can I contribute? How can I give? And I, and I, and I talk to this with young people in terms of stewardship. Young people know what tithe is. 
because tithe is the first fruits which go to their iPhones. <laughs> you know, seriously, I've met, like, I, I've met teenagers and college students like crawling down the edge, you know, just barely, they're not going to make it because of food. And they're like, I better call somebody. Hey, Siri, because <laughs> they still have their iPhone in their hand. Okay, so we understand what it's like for, for, see, tithe is not giving. Tithe is first fruits. So I don't give first fruits to my bow hunting. I don't give first fruits to my finances. See, what do I need to cut out of my life? See, what, what do I need to do without? That's, that's the idea of stewardship. And I tell you, when you begin to put him first in your finances, he just flat out blesses you. And again, that's a, that's a really weird concept. People's like, hold on. You know, I've heard that before, but I don't see that practice. But are people really tithing? It's a fundamental, if you can, if you are faithful with finances, his, like literally, this is hysterical. I've heard people say, you know, they got a boat out there and just somehow weirdly justify it, you know. And I'm like, oh, that's a beautiful boat. Well, that's God's boat. Yeah, that's God's boat. I'm like, no way, really? I'm taking it out tomorrow. Well, I got to pray about it. <laughs> it's not bad to have a boat, dude. Dude, boat it up. I'm cool with it, man. You know? But it's, it's interesting was when something really, really is his. And you're a good steward of that what's his, he multiplies that. Isn't that beautiful? He multiplies that. And so, like, I, I learned this several ways. Probably shouldn't go on too much about this, but it's just so fun. I was faced with this early on in our marriage, or when we moved and got a house for the first time, and I bought a vehicle. And I'd always bought ministry vehicles because we lived on the road forever. And I bought my first, you know, vehicle. And uh, I, when I bought it off the guy and I put the put the amount I paid on it and all that. And the guy goes, I wouldn't fill that out. Because I'd already told him I'd saved $2,500 for the, for the Ford um, car, truck, thing, Explore. And um, so I, and I, I bought it to him for $2,500. And I was like, dude, I just, just got enough. He's like, you got to pay taxes. I'm like, what's that? I'm a minister. He said, you got to pay taxes on that. I was like, how much is it going to be? He was like, probably three or four hundred dollars. I'm like, you're kidding me. When did this happen? Because <laughs> you know, I just I was young. And he looks at me and he goes, you know, there's a way around that. And I was like, I'm listening. He goes, you know, you, instead of putting down twenty five hundred dollars, put down you paid five hundred dollars for it. And then you pay taxes on five hundred and not twenty five hundred. And I was like, oh, that's a great idea. And the Holy Spirit's like, dude, what are you doing, loser? That's sin. I mean, that's the two-for-one sin. That's not just lying, it's stealing. And I told him, I said, yeah, that's, that's dishonest. That's, 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 that's lying, brother. He goes, no, no, no that's, that's a white lie. It's a white lie. Yeah, it's in 2 Galatians. There's white lies, gray lies, and black lies. Black lies are not good. I was like, there's no second Galatians. And we paid the taxes, man. But what I've found over my, over my lifetime with Jesus is he honestly is faithful. 
if I'm a good steward of it. And that's just, that's just finances. And I've experienced that in my body, as you can tell. God's been convicting me of that. You know, I've, I've not been a good steward of, of my body. I, I struggle with gluttony. You're like, gluttony? I've heard of that. Yeah, that's like, I just can't drive by pizza places. Pastor, you're such a jerk. He calls me this week. He's like, hey, do you want to take you out to lunch? I'm like, yes. He's like, where do you want to go? I was like, somewhere healthy. He goes, pizza? I was like, ah! <laughs> so we go to this pizza place, and I like crawled out the front door afterwards. You know, it's terrible. I just can't live like that anymore. I want, I, I want to be a good steward of this body. Type 2 diabetes is like escalating. I'm not knocking you if you're, you know, so difficult. I preach this on Wednesday for that reason, but yeah. I, I want to be a good steward. Are you with me? See, I, I believe when you're a good steward of your body, you just, you're a good steward of your finances. You're, you're, you're church here. I'm telling you in the name of Jesus, I felt this when I pulled up. Your, your, the, the position, the building where God has located you, the people that are coming here. If you are a good steward of the people he's given you, he will trust you with the rest of his children in the area. I'm serious. I do not believe in church growth strategies. Never have. Ever have. And I was saved and went through college during the church growth era. I, I, I honestly believe that if you are a good steward, he will just send people to you. Because if it's, well, it, yeah, yeah, it is, but it's also a little bit of my talent and ability. Have you heard me preach? I mean, you know. Yeah, I mean, do you know about our worship leader? Big time. Come from Brazil. Yeah, Brazilians, they kill it. No, seriously, yeah, if you, have, if, you have a, if you have some kind of an accent in America, the Holy Spirit moves more. That's just how it is. No, because see, none of that's true, man. Dude, if you are a good steward, wouldn't it be something if you went to your work and said, Jesus, I want to be a good steward of where you put me. He'll use you, and he can trust you. This is a fundamental principle. If I can trust you with a little, I'll give you more. Jesus taught on that. So the idea of blessing that we're talking about in the passage, I really want to, I want to press on you that it's a matter of stewardship. That he literally wants to bless you. Are you going to let him? Are you going to let him? The whole idea of blessing and curses. This is a true story. I met a guy not too long ago working in a homeless shelter because we did homeless ministry for probably 15 years. And he's like, uh, and he meant well, and I didn't like, you know, on top of him. But he was like, um, yeah, God turned my life around by giving me cancer. And I was like, whoa. Elaborate. And he was like, yeah, man. Gave me cancer. I said, what kind? Lung cancer. Did you smoke? Yep, 40 years. <laughs> I was like, dude, let me walk you through this. Let me walk you through this. Okay? Is it possible that for 40 years God was like, please stop smoking, you're going to get cancer? He was like, nope. I was like, I'm done. <laughs> God does not give you cancer, man. God does not give you cancer. He wants to bless you with life. Dude, I believe it. That, it's what we read at the very beginning. God is already has have he has dreams, he has longings. Dude, he wants to win your city. Will you let him? Be a good steward with what he's given you. 
If you're not, he'll move it aside, man. I'm telling you, I've seen churches that do this. They go back and forth. Cal and I talked about it today. Let's get into the passage real quick. And I want to walk you through it. There's a, and I, this is weird to, for me to say it up at, in front of the pulpit. I'm not sure I agree 100% with what several uh, scholars who have studied Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, they call it a, a Trinitarian passage. Now, we know throughout the New Testament revealed by Jesus that we serve one God who is three persons. Okay, we do not serve three gods. They don't vote. Okay, we serve one. It's the Godhead. Okay, so Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So when God wanted to redeem mankind, all persons of the Trinity participated in that. If you ever want to study a passage on the Trinity, which is a wonderful study, Revelation chapters 4 and 5. I mean, it's really blatant. God is on his throne, that's the Father, in chapter 4. He's kind of like this overseer. He is, the, he is the embodiment of the Godhead in terms of love. He's radiant. He holds the plan. They've entrusted to him all of that. He's that figurehead on the throne. In the middle of chapter 4, you have the Holy Spirit, which is the second one. And he's the manifold witness and presence and cast out kind of communicator. He is the go forth of the Godhead. In the middle of chapter 5, a lamb looking as if it had been slain, which is the son, walks in the middle of the throne and receives the, the, the land deed of the earth into his hand. So you have all three of those and, they're, and they're, each one of them participate in our redemption. Father has the plan for your life. Jesus paid the price, and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you to bring it to pass. That is a way oversimplification. I hope my professors are not watching. But that's the idea. And so scholars tell us here in, 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 in Ephesians 1-3 that this is a Trinitarian passage because all three of the Godhead are actually present, and it's really true. Listen to it again. He begins and he says, Praise be to the God and Father. That's God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. But in the original language, it's not it's, spiritual blessing is not describing the blessing. It's literally the Spirit's blessing. So you have the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit all present in verse 3. And each of them have a unique role. And I want to walk you through this. First off, this is so neat. Isn't this fun? Okay. So he begins in verse 3 and he says, my translation reads, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's honestly not probably the best translation. If you were to seek to translate that a little bit more literally, which would be helpful, the praise be to God is actually an adjective and it's the same word that we translate blessed later on. Who has blessed us? That word blessed there is a verb. But at the beginning of the sentence in the original language, anybody bring their Greek New Testament? Shame, shame. But the praise be to God is actually, the praise be is the word blessed. It's the same Greek word. So what he's actually how you would, I, I think you should translate it, is the blessed God has blessed us in Christ and it's a beautiful it's a beautiful illustration that one of the father's roles this is so neat God 
took, has taken everything that belongs to himself, that defines him, his nature, and he's put it in Christ for you and I. Uh, when I was in college, I had, a, I had some fantastic uh, professors, both of them. And one of my professors had given this illustration, and I thought it was beautiful. And it was a little cup, and then it was be, you know, and then it was like a 55-gallon barrel that he drags into class. And the idea was, is if this was filled with water, and that was God, which is obviously not true because God's bigger than the 55-gallon barrel, but he had this little, like, shot glass thing, and that's us, and the scriptures say that God gives us all of himself. And you'd be like, how does all of him fit in me? He's infinite. I'm finite. You know, he's glorious. He's wonderful. And so all of us students were talking about, oh, he gives us a little at a time. That's why you show up on Wednesday. <laughs> you know, it's, so remember that stuff? Kyle is hysterical. And so he goes, no. And he takes it and he turns it upside down. And he puts it on top of the shot glass. And he goes, he dumps all of himself. And I, I was like, and I remember speaking up. I was like, I was like, we can't hold him. He's like, but the more you steward well, the more you grow, the more of him you hold. He literally wastes himself on us. That's the whole thing where if, you know, if it had only been one person, Christ would have died for him. God just, he's love. He, he's love. The blessed God, verse 3, literally takes all of who, every, every blessing, all of who, everything that defines him 100% and puts it in Christ for you and I. Literally. You were created, hear me, you were created to house him. You were created to be the fragrance of the knowledge of who he is. Remember that passage? You were created to be the demonstration of his hand in your world. That's who you were created to be. You were created to be the housing of the Father, first thing. Then he moves on and he says, again, in Jesus Christ. And the reason, this will take a little bit more, but... The reason God puts it in Jesus is because he's the perfect son. And the, it's, it's interesting because we do have sons and daughters of God. But we sit, as if you're a Christian, you, are, you sit in the place of sonship. And I want to explain that to you. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. Okay? I want every male who's here, even at home, I can... I can't see you, but raise your hand. If you are a male, raise your hand. And this is so easy. Sometimes people don't raise their hand. Males will raise their hand. They're like, I'm a man. Okay? You are not better than a woman. You're just not. Because there's neither male nor female in Christ. Roles? Sure. Positions? No doubt. But it's interesting in terms of value, worth, usefulness, and significance, male and female are equal. There is no male or female in Christ. There is no Jew nor Greek. There's a trend going around with Messianic Judaism, not every group uh, that's Messianic Judaism, but it's the idea that, oh, I'm, I'm Jew, I'm, I'm, one the, I'm one of the lost tribes. I'm like, you're lost, all right. Okay? There's, it doesn't, that, that birth doesn't, Jesus literally abandoned 
his Jewish identity. See, when you get in Christ, you abandon all significance except for him. What identifies me is not that I'm white, not that you're black, not that you're Asian, not that you're a woman, not that you're a man, not that you're an American. When you come in Christ, equal. That's the significance. That's huge. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Oh, you mean, you mean God could use a child in the same way he can use me? He can use donkeys too. You should read the King James Version on that one. That's phenomenal truth, dude. You can't screw it up. So God takes everything, this is beautiful, God takes everything that he is and he tucks it away in Christ for you. That you could be the demonstration of who he is. Years ago, this is so fun. I, this is my best part. It's not that the message goes down after this, but my, one, of my favorite, one of my favorite word studies I've ever done in Scripture is out of John chapter 5, verse uh, 19. Jesus has just come out of the temple in John chapter 5. He's healed a man who was crippled from birth on the Sabbath. Leaders of Israel, they're really upset. And so they come and they begin to persecute him in verse 16. And they don't like what he's saying. You know, what's going on in the Father is going on to me, all that. And they want to kill him. And Jesus says, don't kill me. Let me explain. And he comes to verse 19. And he says, what does he say? <laughs> Hold on. Let me make sure. It's my favorite verse ever. That's why I got to look it up. Here it is. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. The word do there, there's a few different words in our New Testament that can be translated do. This is so good. Um, probably the most generic, not that it's bad, it's actually used for spiritual things, but the most generic word for do in the New Testament is probably the word proso. And it, it, it's, it's a physical activity. If you ask me, what would you do today? I give you a list. I went here, I did that, I did this, I did that. Those are physical things that I did. That's proso. Proso is not the word that he uses here. So when they say, hey, why would you heal a man on the Sabbath? Jesus does not say, because my dad heals people on the Sabbath. What are my dad prosos? I proso. Whenever I proso, my dad prosos. You want to know why I go to church on Sunday? My dad does. Yeah, you want to know why we sing those songs? Those are the songs Jesus likes. Yeah, he doesn't say that. He's not talking about copying his dad. The Greek word he uses is this unique word called poieo. And in secular Greek culture, poieo describes how trees do fruit. Now, as Americans, we're going to be like, dude, trees don't do fruit. It's not like a tree gets up in, you know, in the spring. It's like, oh, I got to get that fruit done. I'll do it next week. That's a proso thing. It's not a poieto thing. What's a poieto thing? In its due season, a tree is going to produce fruit. It's going to produce a specific kind of fruit. If you're an apple tree, you're going to produce and if you're a peach tree, you're going to produce, you're going to know a tree by its fruit. There's nothing more embarrassing than an apple tree showing up on Sunday saying, hey, I'm a peach tree. People are like, dude, you have apples all over you. 
Well, it's a tough week. Yeah, we're really struggling. Okay, apple tree. No, 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 I'm a peach tree. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that, that isn't how that works, man. A, you're going to know a tree by its fruit. You just are, dude. And Jesus, now take that language and stick it in the passage. Jesus, this is so good. They look at him and say, why would you do that? And Jesus says, how can I describe this to you? Whatever's going on, what my father does, I do. Whatever's going on inside of my dad makes him do what he does. That's what's going on inside of me. Makes me do what I do. And if you want to know what's going on inside of me that drives me, it's going on inside of him. That's sonship. I don't have a problem that a church doesn't win their community. I have a problem that they don't care. That's the real issue. The real issue is the why. Well, I mentioned this earlier this week. You, you take anyone who's in bondage of sin. In our culture, well, when you get an accountability group, guys get together, ask the tough questions. That is so silly. Because it has nothing to do with the activity. You have got bondage in your life and chains around your heart. You need, you need change in your life. Well, it's a mistake. It's not a mistake. It's what you like. It's what you want. It's what fulfills you. See, being a Christian isn't doing something different. It's want to do something different. That's the beauty of Christianity. I'm a new creation. I'm different. The things I used to be into, I'm not into anymore. Do you have that? See, I do. I think there's a problem when you're stingy. I don't, I, and again, I've told Cal this, and I say it openly. I have, and you can ask him, I have never in the name of Jesus charged a dime anywhere I went. I expect a check. But I, I have never, I have never charged anywhere where I went. Why? He's faithful. Dude, I'm serious, man. He's so faithful. I was talking to someone before the service on this. Dude, there are people that come in my life and say, hey, dude, I want you talking about this everywhere you go, and I want to support that. I'm like, cool. He's just, he, if he sends you to Egypt, he's going to send three wise men to finance you. It's a fundamental principle. Business strategies are wonderful in the world. They can cripple the kingdom. I'm telling you, they can cripple the kingdom. Business strategies are meant to follow along as he leads and we organize behind him. When you get that reversed, the tail will wag the dog. I know, it's so good, isn't it? Do you hear her? She looked over and she was like, this guy is killing it. Yeah, it's the word, man. Actually, I don't think she said that, but it, I would have said that if I was her. So the, the first aspect of, of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 is God the Father. He's the blessed God, and he blesses us. It's the same Greek word. God takes, and think about this. You realize God did not do this with angels. Angels were not created in the image of God. You weren't. Animals were not created in the image of God. You should never... You should never get flipped out over any kind of evolution. You know, the whole argument with apes. I, although I know you and I once in a while look at people and think, but 
Animals were not created, seriously, animals were not created in the image of God. We were. Angels, Satan, Michael, Gabriel, the cherubim were not created in the image of God. We were. What does that mean? We were created to be in Christ, who is the Son, who gets the DNA of the Father. What's the DNA? His blessing. Everything that makes God who He is, the chin that He has, the way that He walks, He puts that inside of you for you to steward. And what's steward? What's going on in him, I release out of my life. You want to know why I healed the man on the Sabbath? I couldn't help myself, man. Because what burns in his heart burns in mine. And then the last thing that he says in the passage is really what's burning out of Jesus is every spirit's blessing. Listen to this. You have been entrusted to be the housing of God's spirit. Literally, you are the temple. It'll change the way you eat pizza. I eat it in conviction and crying. Yeah, I'm the temple. I'd prefer to look like him. (laughs) I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I I do. I want to be a good steward. I want to be a good steward of this body. And we're all different. We're made up. And I got, you know, crappy shoulders. And I get it and all that. And not everybody has a beautiful beard. I totally get it. But... The idea is, is I want to be a good steward of what he's given me in the time that he's called me to live in this body. Seriously, that's it. I want to be a good steward of finances. I want to be a good steward of my family. I, I mean, I do. I believe your pastor is a, I've been with him to several churches. I don't lie. I think he's a phenomenal steward. And, and, he's, and, and I've been to churches where staff, oh, See, I, I would be nervous if you go to a church and they run through staff. I do. Because they know him. And so you just look at, you look at the steward. I just, God's going to continue to give you guys people. I was cracking up on Sunday morning, and, uh, you know, they're telling me about the kids and that, you know, all these schools, and they're like, you know, all these kids are just flooding your church. During a pandemic, your church is growing. And I, I listened. I wonder if they know why. Well, we just, we kill it around here. Yeah, we kill it. It's called favor, dude. Seriously, you're a good steward. When you're a good steward with kids, other kids are going to come. When you're, this is how that works. And you have been, God has chosen you to steward his spirit. You are the temple in which he's created to live. That's nuts. What are you not stewarding well? Seriously. I always measure steward by kingdom increase. That's what I always measure. That's how, that's, how that's how I talk about stewardship in my life. Kingdom increase. I want my kids to know him. I want my wife to, to feel fulfilled i don't want her to be controlled i want people when they come to service to authentically feel loved and that i'm i'm so thankful that they've chosen to be here and it's this is truth i like to connect with people i want to be a good steward and it and it honors me that when i come to a church like yours god entrusted me to be here it tells me that wow you've entrusted me to be here 
in a place that stewards things so well. You're in, you're, are you with me? I, I really believe that you will be coming to a, you'll be coming to a point where you're going to have to make a decision if you're going to steward better. You ever see churches that get to a certain point and they just kind of hover there? Yeah, there's something going on in that place, whether it's leadership, whether it's a church board, whether it's whatever, whatever, whether it's staff, whether it's a pastor, whether it's some of the key leaders in the church that don't like the, you know, they're taking away things that I, whatever. You'll see churches, they'll come and they'll hover. And somewhere they're not being a good steward. But if you're being a good steward, you just, I'm telling you, I've seen it. I've seen it. 25 years traveling around the country. I've seen it. I've seen churches that are good steward and God just uses them. And it's not about some church growth, but they literally blanket an area. Cal and I know of a guy back in the day over in Grove City, um, uh, Ohio, Bob Huffaker, one of my heroes, spiritual heroes, and got a chance to minister alongside of him in Oregon for a time with Stephen Amanda Pettit, as, as a matter of fact. And he, he was, uh, he was uh, filling in there. And uh, that dude killed it for like 15 years. And he's so unassuming. He's like a farm. First time I met him, I met Bob Huffaker, this big guy, you know, in our denomination back at that time. And I, I come and meet him. He's got like, he's, he looks like a farmer and he's not, he's big and awkward looking. I hope he's not watching. And, uh, you know, he had like one shirt tail of his shirt was out, you know, and his tie's undone. There's some, there's some like mustard. And I was like, I was like, is Bob here? And he was like, it's me. I was like, no, no, seriously. <laughs> dude, it was him. And I was like, I, dude, you, you're supposed to be like good looking or something, right? He's just filled with Jesus, man. It was, wasn't he? He's just filled with Jesus. You got around the guy and you're like, I, I mean, he, I want to be the kind of person that when I open my mouth, Jesus comes filling out. Dude, I want to be a good steward. So I, I want to ask you tonight, where, where are you not, you're going to tell, you'll be able to tell when you're not being a good steward. Are you a good steward of your marriage? Are you a good steward of your kids and your grandkids? There is no retirement in the kingdom. Hello. Are you a good steward of the body in which you're participating? Are you a good steward financially? I mean, you could do whatever you want. But if you want to see kingdom increase in your life, just say, hey, what you give me that is yours will remain yours. And I will be a good steward of it. I'm not going to rob from you. I'm not going to stand up and promote Jeremiah. I'm going to stand up and promote Jesus. I won't say who, but I was talking with one of you here this week, and you were like, you're just such, they were telling me, they were like, you're just such a normal guy. That's code word for, you're not too impressive, actually. You're like a normal weirdo. I was like, I've been saying it for years. I'm a normal dude who just loves Jesus. That's how we all are, right? Have you ever dawned on you that when Jesus comes to earth, he didn't go and pick the best and brightest from among the Pharisees? He picks ignorant fishermen. Isn't that wonderful? Some of you are going, I fit there. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you're, we're all included. There's, there's no, when you're in Christ, all your past goes away, all your accolades go away, whether you're a male, female, it doesn't matter. 
You're his. You're his. You house him. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter how smart you are. Be a good steward. If you're smart, be smart. Charismatic, be charismatic. If you can, if you can worship, worship. Come on, do your thing. Be a good steward. But you're, it's at the end of the day, it's flesh unless he houses it. So I want to encourage you, if you're online or if you're here tonight and you just need some time to pray and maybe you just need to turn your chair with your wife, grab her hand and say, hey, let's go up a notch. Seriously, let's, let's go up a notch. I want to be the real deal. Jesus, we love you tonight, and uh, I do. I, I want to be a good steward. Help me be a good steward. Help me be a good steward. I can't even steward well. I need you to come down and help me steward. I want to steward your presence well. I want to steward the Holy Spirit and all that he wants to do in this day well. I have nothing to offer or contribute. And this is our collective prayer tonight, Jesus. Turn me away from the flesh. Turn me away from pride. I want to be meek. It's so beautiful to look at the things that you, you praise. Meek. Humility. In the name of Jesus, we want to steward you well, Lord. Pray for those who are praying tonight and seeking you. Would you just... Uh, Reward us with your presence. We want to be favored in Jesus' name.